the hardest thing I think that we have in this industry is not finding great tech. It's the integrations and being able to make sure that we get good, clean integrations from one system to the next. That to me, for anybody looking for technology is not the cool noise that's happening out there, but will it actually interface with my core talent platform and the other point solutions that I needed to talk to? On this episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, you are going to hear from the co-host of HR's Most Dangerous Podcast, Chad Sowash of the top-rated Chad and Chi Show. Hi, I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. Welcome to Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the heart and soul of crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and exploring the convergence of technology, people, and work. Last year, over $18 billion were invested in HR tech. That's billion with a B. Just two years ago, that number was only $5 billion. And yet, only 40% of HR leaders at the senior level have a digital transformation plan for the business, especially as it relates to recruiting. Wow. Okay, so what's missing? Why are so many HR professionals stuck in the dark ages when it comes to their tech stack? Or worse, buying the wrong solutions, too. I mean, eventually, you've got a tech stack that looks like a CVS receipt. That's what we're here today to unpack in this episode. To help us do that is Chad Sowash. Chad is an HR legend, especially in the recruitment space. He started at Monster.com in the 1990s before it was even called Monster.com. So what you're saying is he's basically been in HR tech since before they even had a word for it. Jason, that pretty much sums it up. I guess that makes him the perfect guest then to talk about leveraging technology for better recruiting. But first, let's get Chad's thoughts on what's changing in HR and recruitment. First and foremost, we're seeing a lot of cash, which means we're getting a lot of new ideas, but that doesn't mean they're great ideas when it comes to startups, right? We're also seeing a great mass of ideas from Europe and outside of the United States, which we really didn't see a lot of over the past five years. I mean, that growth really just exploded, which is awesome. But I think overall, Ira, one of the things that you know you were talking about is how can tech help HR? I, I think HR needs to help themselves, first off. What we're doing is we are applying technical bandage over the next technical bandage. That's a problem because we have redundancy that's happening. We have all these point solutions that don't integrate. And I mean, what we have is a horrible experience, not just for the candidate, but also for the recruiter. And right now it's harder to find recruiters than it is developers, right? So I think this is not a technical problem as much as it is human problem and HR leaders, TA leaders, what they need to do is they need to implode their current stacks metaphorically at first, right? They need to whiteboard a new process methodology because what they've been doing is they have an old adopted 1990s. They took it from paper, then they went to the job board model and everything pretty much stayed the same. There were little tweaks here and there, but then you started to layer all this crazy tech on it. What we need to do is start from a clean slate and really focus on experience for candidates, experience for recruiters, hiring managers, and employees, right? Those are all things that we really should focus on as priority one. Yeah, you know, you reference the, the demand for recruiters, and we forget about that. I mean, we, we think about all this is going on in the background. 
you know, we had Evan Sohn on just a few weeks ago, right before the holidays, you know, from recruiter.com. And he was talking about the hockey stick of, of wages, of salaries for recruiters. I mean, it, yeah. it's a real bidding war out there where, you know, just a year or two ago, you know, if you pick up a recruiter or, or somebody in HR who can recruit, which is different, I, I will I will give you that. I mean, if I'm hiring HR to recruit and hiring real and professional recruiters, 60, 75,000, maybe six, you know, now the numbers are 200,000 or more signing bonuses. I mean, it's like the old tech game, old programmer game. And yeah. uh, it's crazy. They're, they're turning into mercenaries is really what they're doing. I mean, this is, this is a hiring type of a specialty thing. And as we start to see most of these recruiters who really haven't been great or they didn't enjoy being a recruiter, they now have an opportunity to go off into different pastures, which is awesome. And we're getting all of these individuals who are really good and they love and they're passionate about what they do. Yeah, they're starting to see they're, they're getting paid their actual value finally. Finally getting the respect that they deserve after so many years, which goes along with many, many different positions, you know, all the way down to the front lines, you know, finally. You know, Chad, you, you mentioned the idea of imploding, like what a lot of HR leaders need to do is implode. I'm mm -hmm. picturing, you know, us here in Indianapolis, I'm picturing the RCA dome or the Hoosier dome, you know, whenever it imploded. Yeah. Like they're probably wondering, like, how do I walk through that process? So before, you know, we would look at, you know, getting rid of something. Maybe walk through what are some things that they should do first if they're starting to think about looking at their HR tech stacks. What's the first step that they should be going through? The first thing they should be doing is they should be looking for peers who have already done this, right? So don't don't think that you can just do this out of out of nowhere by yourself. So they need to be looking for peers who have already done this. So we talked to Amy Butchko, who is the director of talent solution over at SAIC, which is not a small company. We're talking about 180,000 employees. So she's already done this, and she actually had buy-in from her CRO because she demonstrated that what she was doing could and would impact either positively or negatively the bottom line. Another thing that we need to do in talent and in HR, we are the heart and we are the soul of revenue generation. But going back to Back to like the whole process, look for your peers who have already done this or who are going to be on the journey somewhat like you. Whiteboard it. Everything that you have right now, forget. And if you could actually make it easier and bring your recruiters in, because this is a strategic conversation as well as a tactical conversation. You want to talk about what it looks like overall, but you have to be able to understand the steps and who are going to be taking the steps to get there, including your hiring managers. You need less friction. And that's for the candidate and anybody who's internal as well. Then you need to, at that point, once you start to understand the processes, and again, I'm going very high level on this, the processes, then you start talking to platforms. And I don't like to call them applicant tracking systems because we're well beyond that now. I see them more as core talent platforms. You need to start talking to those organizations and then start the RFP process around this new pretty much process that you put in place. That is, that's the easy way to start, but big, big, big caveat. Do not do this by yourself. 
Make sure that you have peers and make sure that you bring in an expert who's a consultant. There are plenty of them that are out there who can actually help and guide you through some of this. Listen to podcasts. I mean, we talk about tech all the time, but do your research and do your due diligence. I don't know how many times I've seen 20-year-old RFP, which might have been redlined here and there, sent out for new tech. It just doesn't make any sense. So again, clear the board get those peers involved and get those experts involved and definitely get your team, your internal team, who's going to be touching the systems involved. Incredible advice. And as you were describing that, I, I have four sons at home that are eight and under, and I'm just thinking about the Lego creations that they make yeah. and how yeah. so much of it is just like, you know, it's just getting all thrown together. And I tell them, well, it's beautiful. And of course it is, yeah. but it's what it's supposed to be. Like you're telling me it's a house. I'm like, I don't see a house. And it almost makes me think of HR, like just reaching and grabbing for stuff. And you got to take a step back and bring the right people on the outside experts to help you actually plan and have a vision for these things before you start purchasing things and put them in your HR stack. That's wonderful advice, I think. Yeah, I've been saying that for a while, including the times that I was out in Indianapolis speaking, is that, you know, one of the most common questions, I'm sure you got it a million times, Chad, which is the best ATS? Which ATS should we use? Which is the best texting program we should use? Which which is the best, you know, whatever program. And the challenge is is that there are good programs, but they were typically developed with a a process in mind, a culture in mind. Yeah. And therefore, you adopt somebody else's culture. And if you don't operate the same way, it's like sales training. You know, I remember there were certain sales training, won't give any names, but it was a great program, but you had to march to their orders. You had to follow that program. And if it didn't fit your culture because it was a super cutthroat, aggressive process, it didn't work. And then yeah. people modified it. And then all of a sudden they're removing parts and they're adding parts and it just doesn't fly. So again, your message is so poignant and so clear is what's the outcome you want and then look for providers that can help you reach your outcome the technology itself is not the outcome, which leads me to the next story. You, are, you talked about SAIC. Are, are there, and this is twofold questions. Are there some companies there that are doing it right? I mean, you know, it's it's a matter of reaching out to other peers and colleagues yeah. and, and find out what's going on. But are, are there some that are doing it right? I would say to link up to your last your last comment, there are tons of great platforms that are out there and point solutions that are doing it right. Here's where we're doing it wrong is the process is trying to fit all this new fangled. We've got, we've got a Ferrari, right? And we're trying to hook a horse up to it. It makes no sense, right? So Ira might not to give you a, a, a name or, or what have you from a platform standpoint, but most of these platforms will be incredible for any organization if they don't hook a horse up to the front of it, right? They need to implode their process. They need to understand, again, what their needs are, what they want their outcomes to be from an experience standpoint, all the way through hiring, employee engagement, internal mobility. I mean, all the way through, they should they should understand that story entirely and then start to see that more than likely, they're not going to find one system that will do all of this, but they're going to have to start to Lego that system together. And, and to your point, Jason, with the Legos, you know, Legos are easy because they snap together. The hardest thing I think that we have in this industry is not finding great tech. It's the integrations and being able to make sure that we get good, clean integrations from one system to the next. That to me, for any 
everybody looking for technology is not the cool, the cool noise that's happening out there, but will it actually interface with my core talent platform and the other point solutions that I needed to talk to? If, if we have any listeners out there that are thinking to themselves, oh, I, I can totally do this on my own. What would your, your words of advice be to them, Chad, if, if they're thinking, you know, it's okay if we have 10 or 15 different solutions we're using in HR. Any advice that you'd give them today to try and help change their mind? Yeah, don't be a fool. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. We only have so much capacity, okay? And I, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I need to be able to get more eyes on. This is my military experience. I need more eyes on the objective. Might think I know what's on the objective, but I need more eyes on the objective. So I understand more. I don't know in totality how my recruiters are going to use a system how they're going to actually use some of these other point solutions in with our core talent platforms. And not to mention, if I do have peers that are out there who've already been through this journey and can provide me with some advice and recommendations, again, don't be a fool. Definitely take everything you can get. I know we, I know, Jason, we were talking, chatting back and forth this morning about some of the things that we wanted to talk about. And, and one of the questions was, and I think you just answered it, HR using too many solutions. Are they using too much technology? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of noise, right? There, there's a lot of noise and, and there's a lot of, oh my God, let's put our finger in the dike over here and let's put our finger in the dike over here. There, there's a lot of that thought process that's going on. When to be quite frank, I don't know how many times I've actually talked to, to organizations and they said, oh God, oh my God, we need a point solution for X. And I'm like, what's your core talent platform? What are you currently using? What's your current stack? This is what we have. You can do that with that right? You don't need to continue to add redundancy and then also come up with that CVS receipt. You're actually layering on more cost in redundancy because most of those platforms, especially the bigger platforms, either through new feature drops and or acquisitions, they have that already. And the user experience, you brought up experience earlier and I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that our listeners got to hear that because user experience is so important. We're thinking right now through the lens of the HR leader, but you've also got to think about your, your staff and how many solutions are you asking them to have to get into to do certain kinds of things like, oh, gosh, like you're telling me I need to you know complete this survey, our quarterly engagement survey. Where do I go to get that? Now you're telling me I need to go complete X, Y and Z. Where do I go to do that? And it can cause yeah. a lot of whiplash for employees. And so the emphasis yeah. you placed on experience, just want to reemphasize that you also need to have in mind what it's like for your people who are going to be using it on a day-to-day basis to know what it's like if you have 10 to 15 tech stacks that are pinging you at any given moment asking for you to do something. Yeah, well, and think of this too. We've also heard lately that most of these recruiters who are getting these higher salaries are asking the question, what's your tech stack? Because if you have a bad tech stack, guess what they're going to do? Not you. You know, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, you were doing two things that, that you said. You talked about Putting, hitching the, the horse to the Ferrari. And I'm going to come back to that one in a minute, which brought to mind something else I just heard yesterday. I thought it was a great line. You know, we've all heard taking a knife to a gunfight. I heard taking a knife to a wildfire, to fight a wildfire, <laughs> yeah. which also fits there. And I guess that fits in our modern world. But as long as we're talking about Ferraris, let's talk about Tesla. And when we're talking about Tesla, let's talk about blockchain. And when we talk about HR tech, where it's going to be in five years, 10 years. What are you seeing? Where do you, you know, is this far-fetched or do you think HR is going to be, we're going to be talking, we bring you back next year, two years, three years, we're going to be talking blockchain. 
We will not be talking blockchain just like today we don't talk about cloud computing, okay? It's going to be something that's that's so embedded into the systems that need those blockchains that it just happens. So that's that's the beauty of incredibly smart tech and incredibly smart CEOs. They don't play this this blockchain game. They just make sure that they focus on what solution you need. And if that solution entails blockchain because of encrypted or whatever, right? All these crazy ledgers. I mean, if that's what it needs, then great. But I think it will be prevalent, but it won't be something that we're talking about, much like cloud computing. It's just a part of processes and tech that we use today. What are some of the other things that you see or some of the other challenges where, where HR tech is really helping with, which in you know, 2021, 2022, is really going to make a difference? So scale is, is the biggest key when we're talking about tech, right? I believe being able to actually start to not just look outward, outward, but look inward to be able to scale and and start to pull candidates, just one example, toward an opening, right? So to be able to actually scale and do that, recruiters already have enough to do. They don't need to source, right? They can do some of of the, the more high level things around that. Also communication. We talked about scaling communication. Candidates have a horrible experience now going into a black hole. And I think Sherm did a, a, a survey a couple of years ago and asked candidates, would they rather talk to a robot than nobody at all? And they go figure. They said, of course, we would rather talk to a robot. So being able to scale communications and you hear so many people say, oh, it's, it's just not human. No, what's happening is we're able to scale from the masses. And when those individuals come into the funnel, a recruiter can start to be that brand ambassador because the tech is taking all those little tasks that sucked them dry from time before and they couldn't get to candidates and they couldn't be human. Now they're going to have an opportunity to be able to do that. So tech can help us scale better and it can help us become more human. That's so funny about them wanting to rather chat to a robot <laughs> than an actual person. And as soon as you said that, got me thinking about where we headed in terms of the metaverse when it comes to recruiting, are there any ideas out there right now of what Mm -hmm. that might start to look like in terms of the recruiting and and candidate experience process? There's no question. I think one of Joel's predictions is that there's going to be a metaverse HR company, you know, hiring company in 2022. I can't believe it hasn't popped up yet, to be quite frank. This reminds me of Second Life when it first came out. There's more bandwidth. There's going to be more ability to do certain things. Will there be applications? I believe yes. Will it be broad scope for you know onboarding and, and everything? I don't. I don't think so. I just think there are great applications for great tech, and we should really focus in those sweet spot areas as opposed to trying to make it broad scale. And I just don't see that happening. We did interview somebody just a few months ago. They talked about they would send a an Oculus, a headset, out to the candidate. So that they can, that it would create that experience rather than doing it through Zoom. And, and you know, it, it gave an idea of how they handle themselves and gave an idea of, of their, their ability to use modern technology, new technologies and things. They were sending these headsets out. So and it, that's it, not cheap. No, three, well, 300 bucks a pop back and forth. And they send them back. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. a they got, that. Yeah, they said they had no problem. They didn't lose any at that point in time. I don't know how many they sent out. 
Chad, when the other day I posted a video, which I saw from somebody else about the Simon Sinek, and it was about, it was really cool. It was like, it's two minute video. You can go up to my LinkedIn page and see it. We'll put it, we'll make sure we put it in the show notes, but it talked about how companies are getting it wrong, identifying who are the people that they should retain? How do they reward top performers? And you responded and we went back and forth a little bit, but you nailed it. And, you know, by saying that Corporate America has got it backwards. A little context. What did, what did you mean by that? So, so that video was actually like a clip of a much longer talk that he gives where he's done, Simon Sinek has done research on leadership and where he saw leadership take hold the most was in the military. Go figure. So this was more of an expanded view with as we were having the conversation on LinkedIn, is that, you know, again, to get a guy with military experience coming in, I was 18, went into the military. The way that I learned how teams should efficiently run were together, right? Fluidly. There were no individuals. And as a matter of fact, I was an infantry drill sergeant at one time. And the very first thing that we would issue trainees wasn't toilet paper, wasn't socks, it was a battle buddy. It was team from, and you better not be alone ever. You'd better better have a battle buddy with you at all times because we're not Rambo. We can't go and, you know, one person win the fight, right? And, you know, we're talking about, you know, living and dying on the battlefield. So there, the ramifications for not being a solid, fluid team, much different than day-to-day in civilian life, right? So that focus, not to mention it's a team focus. It's not an individual focus. And that's how you're trained to lead. Now, taking that into my civilian world, I got thrown on my head right out of the gate because the next thing I know, instead of the guy next to me or the girl next to me looking to protect me or to help me or to lift me up, they were stabbing me in the back because they wanted that commission or they wanted that, you know, they wanted that up, that promotion or whatever. They wanted all of the, the dopamine hits that they would get from being the one in the spotlight, as opposed to being the team actually moving forward in the spotlight. It was big for us to be able to get somebody from our team promoted, maybe to another team, maybe to another company or what have you. But that meant a lot to us as a team in the military. And we don't have that same camaraderie. Hell, we don't even use that word camaraderie in the civilian world. So that was the big distinction I was trying to make. And the video, by the way, looked at, he did this quick whiteboard and it was about performance and loyalty. And how we re-reward performance and we shortchange loyalty. And obviously, you're looking for people that are loyal and top performers all the way up in the right-hand corner. But one of the strongest points was, and I've always said, and, and people who studied anthropology and sociology have identified this. There are influencers. There are people that are natural leaders. They may not be your top performer, but these are the people who get things done. These are the people who inspire other people. And corporate America doesn't reward those because it's always bottom line. What are you bringing in? How many sales? How many many tasks do you check off? How much do you do? And even if they are loyal, but they're not the top performer, they get discarded. And as he concluded in that, at least in in this two minute segment was you don't let this person go. You don't let this person go. That happens too, even at the the mid-level leadership level, like you think Mm -hmm. of managers and supervisors, you know, sometimes you have a, you know, a frontline employee, they're really good at what they're doing. And so automatically the thought process, let's elevate them, you know, to become a manager and supervisor. I think it's going to be great. But if you don't take that time to actually make sure that you're equipping them um, and developing those, 
I don't like the term soft skills, human skills, whatever you want to call them, of how to lead people, right? how to serve them, then regardless of how they performed as that frontline employee, then it's going to be really hard to be a strong leader. And the biggest difference I see, again, from civilian to military is that every time you get a promotion, when you get into like the non-commissioned ranks or the officer ranks, is that you have to go to leadership school to retain that promotion. Then you see many of the CEOs of, of big companies, they've never, they might've read a leadership book once in their life, but they've never actually been through school education to be able to do that. And I've been through several schools and, and that again, just really was very poignant in watching leaders and I learned more from their mistakes than I did from what they did well, because daily, it was a daily occurrence. Chadcheese.com. How else can they get a hold of you? Yeah, just go to LinkedIn. I'm the only Chad Sowash on LinkedIn, probably more than likely in the world. But yeah, go to chadcheese.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Jason, let me get into what is one of my favorite parts of the show. What don't I know? What did we learn from our guest? First question. What's the main reason behind most leaders not having a digital transformation process in place? Wow, that's a great question. And honestly, I don't know the answer. My guess, I've got a lot of great ideas of things I know I should do, but it's so easy to get distracted in the tyranny of the urgent, the things you just got to get done each day. And so my guess is this just falls to the wayside. So I've heard from a lot of HR leaders because I'm in the tech space for HR, they'll often tell me, We know that we'll need to go do an engagement survey. So we hop on G2 and we start looking at the top rated companies that do employee engagement surveys, or they'll say, we know we need to do performance management. So we'll go on G2 and look for the top companies in that area or hop on Google. And so it ends up being more of a piecemeal kind of flittering thought of, oh, we know we should be doing this. Let's go out and look for a solution instead of stepping back and having a vision and making sure that you have a long-term plan in place so that you're not using a whole bunch of different solutions for different things in HR. And that's exactly what Chad had just talked about, was not having this long CVS receipt or a grocery list of just items. You know, I describe it as this Jenga tower. In the past, we just kept piling on one block after the other, and then we try to pull out one block and put it on the top, and hopefully the whole tower doesn't fall over. And HR tech today, you know, happens to be a large Jenga tower and somewhere we just have to rethink it and start with a different set of building blocks because we need a different outcome. So Ira, why do you think it's so important to find peers and experts on this transformation journey that we're all on? Yeah, that was one of the things that Chad had mentioned during the interview. You know, he had military experience and he talked about the word camaraderie. And you never hear that. We talk about collaboration. We talk about team building. We talk about support. We talk about engagement. But the one thing that really hit me during the interview was he talked about camaraderie is just not a word that we ever hear in in business, in corporate America. But we talk about it in different terms. Do employees feel that, that the company has their back, that management has their back, that they can trust management to do maybe like in the old days, in our parents' and grandparents' days, that the company really took care of them, that they really cared about their people. Whether we talk about camaraderie or whether we talk about, as we do in the, in the adaptability quotient, uh, we talk about company support and team support and having a healthy work environment. 
I don't know why people don't get it, especially with, you know, with the record resignations that we have and the turnover and the low engagement and the challenge companies are experienced hiring new people. It's certainly uh, perplexing of why we don't talk more about, I, I can't frame it any better, as Chad said, camaraderie. And that doesn't always mean like rainbows and unicorns too, right? It means you're having real tough conversations and crucial conversations sometimes that have to happen. But when you have that level of trust, you can have those conversations knowing that it's not going to ruin relationships, but that it's pointing toward the same goal. It makes me think of what psychologists often talk about in terms of perceptual blindness. We all have it. We can't see our own blind spots. And it's not too all dissimilar from when we drive. We literally have technology in our cars now that help us understand if someone's in our blind spot when we're on the road. And the only way that you get there is you've got to have the outside perspective of people that you trust and respect. They're going to be real and they're going to be honest with you and provide that candor. And that only comes through having the camaraderie. Without that, then you're just going to end up spinning in circles and not really identify those areas where you can get better. And I, and I love that you mentioned crucial conversations because that's what we're about. That's what Geek Skeezers and Googleization about is having these crucial conversations. And I know there's probably some HR people and business leaders that get defensive, that they're sitting back and that these guys don't know what they're talking about. It's, you know, it's not all our fault. We're doing the best we can. We're a small business. We're a big business. We're, you don't understand our industry. And the reality is, is everyone needs to have this open, a, a more open mindset. And we're not being critical of people. We're just at a, a point in time where we really need to think of new ways to do things. And it doesn't mean throwing out the old ways because some of, if the old ways are working or they just need to be tweaked or improved, innovation doesn't have to be a new iPhone. It could be just an improvement. It could be a software update. It could be just a different process uh, that we have in place. That's so important with what Chad was talking about. Maybe having a integration, maybe having another piece of HR tech would be the right solution. But then we also have to make sure it integrates seamlessly, that it's not just a plug-in. It's not just some another piece of, of software, another process that we have to figure out a bridge for, that it changes everybody's, it changes our entire process, or people have to log in to multiple places to, to accomplish it. The important part is, is is how will this integrate seamlessly into both our process and the experience uh, of what people do? Which brings up another question, uh, you know, when we talk about automation, and I'm going to throw this out to you because I know you have a, I believe you have a white paper, you shared this information, that there's 672 hours that HR spends every year on tasks that could be automated. And that came in 2019 from Sherm. So this was even pre-pandemic, you know, in terms of how our HR teams were operating. And we've spoken with so many leaders that have explained to us, you know, the, the research is clear that 90% of business value now is recognized as a direct derivative of people. And so we need to make sure we're equipping HR to have a seat at the table to be the human capital leaders. That means they need to be focusing their time, energy, and their best cognitive efforts on things that truly matter, not on tasks that are repetitive and can be done and handled by software. And some of those things are performance management cycles. HR leaders shouldn't be having to remind leaders to do one-to-ones with their direct reports. They also shouldn't be having to do manual work around payroll 
or anything that has to do with absence management or things that have to do with learning and development. Like whenever you have a process and you have cycles that are built up for those things, if you're using good technology, it's going to execute and implement those things for you. That way you can free up more of your time during your day where you're answering fewer emails and you're actually doing more strategic vision casting to make sure that you're elevating the business and creating an employee experience where everybody makes their best contributions toward that vision and mission of the company. But to get there, you've got to free up those 672 hours each year that are being wasted on things that are mundane and repetitive. You know, I was involved in in a conversation uh, on LinkedIn. I think you even participated in it a little bit. And I posed the question of what percentage of HR jobs should be automated over the next five years. And there was some resistance, not unexpected, just as we talked about before, is that people push back. And it's like, well, my job shouldn't be. We need to have more human interaction. And the example that was brought up was about employee investigations. Employee relations should be one-to-one. They should have that human contact. And I absolutely agree. And I'm sure you absolutely agree with that. The challenge is, is that as people, this is probably a harsh word, but maybe a bit naive or just don't appreciate what technology can do, is what if technology, by using technology and not spending 672 hours on administrative tasks on busy work, could help prevent the need for the situation that prompts an investigation? What if there was more time that managers or HR could either preempt, mitigate, or anticipate a situation that would prompt the need for an investigation. And this is this is the problem. People are still confined to thinking about, well, that's my job. That's what I do. One third of 672 hours is one third of someone's annual work. What would I do with the rest of that? And the fact is, is that, well, you'd have to spend time talking with people, going out, you know, the old management by walking around, reaching out to people. Right. So again, there's this, as Chad certainly an HR tech guy, he understands it. And he's talking about building this HR tech stack. And that creates fear, as some of our other guests have talked about. That, you know, innovation's a scary word. And we talk about innovating, you know, talking about more of a culture of an opportunity, a psychologically safe space to say, what could I do if I wasn't doing all this busy work? Which leads into one more question. What are some emerging practices that that Chad talked about or that you've, that maybe prompted this, what didn't you know beforehand? What are some emerging practices that seem to go against some of the best practices that businesses are still using, but they're not best anymore? They're actually harmful. I think the acquisition process for software in and of itself fundamentally has got to change. And again, the statistics are only 40% of HR leaders have a digital transformation plan. We need to get that number up close to 100%. And you need to have a clear process to know, okay, if we do need something that's related to employee engagement surveys, we're getting those kind of metrics. What do we currently have in-house that might be able to do that? If we don't have something, if we go out and find a solution, is it better to find a solution that only does employee engagement surveys? Or is it better to find something that might do engagement surveys? And then it might also do X, Y, and Z. Maybe it does follow-up coaching related to that. Maybe it also will provide the flexibility to do additional kind assessments that have to do with climate and culture or employee experience or burnout. Those are the really important questions that often don't get asked. 
in the purchasing process. And so taking that time to take a breath, step back, and think long-term, where are we going to be three to five years from now in terms of our tech stack if we just keep adding things on, adding things on, and then also viewing it and thinking about it through the lens of your employees. They're the ones who are going to be using this, and it needs to be as minimally intrusive as possible because they've got a job to do. They've got important things to do. And so when you're reaching out to them, asking for them to complete an engagement survey, I know I'm picking on that today, but that's, I think, an example a lot of people can relate to. It needs to be done in a, as, as minimally intrusive way as possible where you referenced it. They don't have to remember what website do I need to go to? Do I need a login? Do I need a password? Okay, now you're asking me to provide feedback in a different way using this other tool. That becomes way too much whiplash and the user experience for your employees. And so my recommendation would be emerging practice. You've got to have a digital transformation plan in place. And guess who needs to be at the table to help you with that? Aside from the C-suite, you better have some representation of your frontline employees because they're going to be the ones who either use it or don't. And you're not going to get usability and you're not going to get the outcomes you're looking for if they're not participating in using the software. Although I ask you that question about the emerging practices, and I know you've heard me say this before, that you know when we lived in simpler times or even complicated times, good practices and best practices made sense. But now we're all building the plane while we're flying it, and, and everything is emerging. But again, I'm going to reference this back to Chad. Chad talked about the need to create a team and to reach outside your own environment, your own business, to talk to other people. And so beyond saying we're going to have three or four vendors come in and and give us a demo, and then we're going to meet internally to decide which one's best, to reach outside, and you nailed it. You talked about experience. What was the experience, both of implementation? What was the experience on on onboarding and learning to how to use the system? How did it improve the process from the employer side? But what was the impact on the people that actually used it? Maybe the opportunity to talk with employees in a company that utilizes this technology to get their opinion, not HR's opinion, not management's opinion, but to find out what was the experience like. Those are emerging. Those are practices that were unheard of in the past. The past is we need three bids. Let's narrow it down. Somebody recommended this, but the technology could have been recommended in a completely different culture than yours a different time, a different place, a different iteration, or maybe your people are in a different place. Maybe it is the right solution, but your people aren't ready for it. How are you going to make that transition? So oftentimes, I think an emerging practice, maybe if we sum it up in two words, is employee experience. Completely agree. I'm Jason Cochran. And I'm Ira Wolf. You've been listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And be sure to follow the podcast on whichever platform you prefer, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, iHeartRadio. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.